Uh, Jamie Sanders, this is his uh, first time uh, in the deacon ministry, and so we're going to do an ordination today. But at this point, I want to be very cautious uh, to tell every one of you that this message is not for deacons only. All right? When we look at the scriptures and we think, what is it that God is calling each each and every one of us to be? We're called to be servants of Christ. So every qualification, every role that we're talking about today is something that every single one of us should strive for. Because in any of these qualifications we fall short in, that's less opportunity for you and for I to display Christ. So please do not think, oh, this message is just for deacons. It is for everyone in here. Every one of us should strive to be like Christ. So please keep that in mind as we walk through these passages of Scripture. And what I want to do every other year is I want to have a message where we outline what it is uh, a deacon is. What are the qualifications? And, of course, what are the roles? And I'm going to be honest with you. The Bible has much to say about the qualifications of pastor, elders, and deacons. But not a whole lot about the function of a deacon. And I believe that it is God-ordained. Uh, many of us, whenever we read the scriptures and we hear sermons, we believe that it's possible that the first deacons uh, are found in Acts chapter 6. Now, that's not technically true. Uh, these are servants that were actually called out to do a special bit of service. And so it morphed into the role of deacons later on uh, in the scriptures. But this is a good starting point for us to get to when we want to understand the qualifications and the roles of servants like deacons. So if you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 6. Uh, we're going to read verse 1 through 7. Acts 6, 1 through 7. Now, what happened in chapter 5 is a whole lot of persecution. A whole lot of persecution, but a whole lot of growth in the church. So then it opens with Acts 6-1 saying, Now in those days, okay, the days where the church was growing, but a lot of persecution, when the number of the disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists. Because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. So what we find here is the first heated debate that took place in the church was racism. Racism. Because what's happened here is the Jews who became Christians... Their widows were getting all the food, all right? All the widows were getting taken care of, but the Hellenists, which were the Greeks, okay, the non-Jewish Christians, their widows weren't getting food. Okay, so there was some, there was, there was disagreement. There was racism going on here. That's some tough stuff to deal with. And we think to ourselves, well, that's not really racism, right? That's just uh, uh, maybe a clerical error. It could be. But a clerical error that knocked out a whole group of people? You know what I see in there? I see humanity. That's us. We tend to want to help out the people we want to help out. But the church isn't supposed to be like that. 
The church is to be here to help whoever needs it. Let me ask you a question. Who's your neighbor? Anybody you come into contact with. Your friend, your family member, your enemy, whatever the case may be. And we are called to love our enemies. And so there was a problem going on in the church. And because of the problem that took place, there needed to rise some servant leaders. Now, whenever I say that this message applies to every one of us, I mean that. How crazy would our nursery be if we didn't have a leader over that? If we didn't have Lindsay, chaos, right? All right, think about uh, on Wednesday night. If we didn't have Haley Medlock uh, leading the Team Kid Ministry, if she was not there, it would be chaos going on. All right, the audio, video, media. If we didn't have Candace up there, uh, the stuff that you're seeing here wouldn't happen. Okay, there is a great need for servant leaders, and every one of us should strive for that. Strive to be whatever God wants us to be. And so, with that said, let's read on. Now, in those days when the number of disciples was multiplying, there arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said this, It's not right, it's it's not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation. That's character. Full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. So full of the Holy Spirit and we could say full of wisdom. Whom we may appoint over this need, over this business, over this duty, over this task. But we, speaking about the apostles, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. And the saying pleased the whole multitude. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Procurus, and Nicanor, and Timon, and Parmenius, and uh, Nicholas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch, whom they set over uh, by, excuse me, before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid hands on them. Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And many even of the priests were obedient to the faith. So I want to break down a couple of lists for us today. Uh, Number one is the qualifications of a deacon. Remember what I said earlier. The the Bible gives us much to say about qualifications. So let's dive in uh, to those real quick. And keep in mind, this applies to every believer. This should be the, the desire, the goal of every believer. First of all, it says we are to be full of the Holy Spirit. So a qualification for a deacon is that you're spiritual. Does that blow your mind? (laughs) Okay. A deacon of a church should be a spiritual person. All right. A person who is submitted. A person who is controlled by God. Controlled by God. Full of God. Full of the Holy Spirit. Not full of himself. There is a difference. You see, if you're full of the Holy Spirit, you can't be full of yourself. But if you're full of yourself, there's no way that you can be led and faithful and obedient to the Holy Spirit. So a deacon is not someone who politics for the title. That's not what a deacon is supposed to be. Instead, a deacon is someone who is recognized by the church and by the leadership as someone who is already serving. 
full of himself as someone who seeks a position for personal gain versus seeking the will of God. See, I love it whenever uh, the deacons uh, would ask someone, and, and would you pray about becoming a deacon uh, of the church? We, we looked at the qualifications and we believe that God is leading us uh, to this particular person and for them to be shocked. They're like, well, what, what does that mean? Uh, what am I supposed to do? Exactly what you're doing now. You know, exactly what you're doing now. But now you're going to be in a leadership role. That is so exciting. But listen, church, every one of you, if you want to be used by God, you need to stop being full of yourself and full of the Holy Spirit. Second thing, we're to be full of wisdom. Okay? Full of the Holy Spirit is spiritual. Full of wisdom is practical. That's good judgment. I'm not talking about knowledge only. Okay? Wisdom is using knowledge the right way. Have you ever heard this phrase before? You can be right and wrong at the same time. Okay? You may, you may have the truth, but you're arrogant about it. Okay? You may have the truth, but, but, but you spew it in such a way where you, you uh, either defraud or, or, or tear down people instead of building them up. That's not godly wisdom. Listen, since I've, I've been here two and a half, uh, yeah, two, a little over two and a half years, and during that time, I have had the privilege, Kenny and I as well, to be able to come to the deacons and to say, guys, we got, a, we got an issue here, we got a problem, and here's an idea that I think we should do, but I need your, your help on this. And the wisdom that was poured out by these godly men to lead us, to help us to, to be sure that the decision that we're making is not of Scott, okay? It's not of flesh, but it's something that has been born out with prayer, is born out with much prayer. And to be able to make a decision that we can as a group say, you know what, we believe God, the Holy Spirit has led us in this direction. And so we're going to proceed no matter what. And we've seen that happen the past uh, couple of years. Some tough decisions have been made, but also some beautiful decisions have been made. And God got the glory. Why? Because we're surrounded, church. By people who are full of the Holy Spirit and full of wisdom. But there's a third thing, and that's character. Being full of the Holy Spirit is spiritual. Being full of wisdom is practical. But being a person of character is reputable. It's of good reputation as to what it says. Now, it says that, of course, in chapter 6. Find people of good reputation. But now turn to 1 Timothy Chapter 3. 1 Timothy chapter 3, and we're going to really dive into the character of a deacon. Or let me say it this way, a character of a servant of God, which should include all of us, something we should all seek after. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 3, we're going to start in verse 8. 1 Timothy 3, starting in verse 8. Verse 1 through 7, it talks about the qualification of the elder, the overseer, the bishop, the pastor. And then it says in verse 8, likewise, okay, so very similar to that list, likewise, deacons must be reverent, not double tongued, not given to much wine, not greedy for money, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. But let these also first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons, being found, what? Blameless. 
Likewise, their wives must be reverent, not slanderers, temperate, faithful in all things. And then it goes back to the, to the deacon. Let deacons be the husbands of one wife, ruling their children and their own houses well. For those who have served well as deacons obtain for themselves a good standing and great boldness in the faith which is in Christ Jesus. Now, we just read to verse 13. Look at verse, uh, verse 1, okay, in 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy 1, it's not on your screen, but 1 Timothy 1, I think, gives us a good uh, sandwich to what we're talking about here. It says, The saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to the office of overseer, he desires a noble task. Therefore, an overseer must be what? Above reproach, blameless, right? And then we see it near the end of the qualifications, the same word, right? That the deacons are to be blameless. So, blameless is the word for all these qualifications that envelops all the others, okay? So, it must begin with blameless. Must begin with blameless. Blameless means, as some of your translations say, beyond reproach. It does not mean that this person is sinless. That's not possible, okay? Uh, because of our flesh and our, and our own desires warring against God's desires. Not sinless, but someone who has a consistent lifestyle of a Christian character. Someone who has a consistent lifestyle of a Christian character. Which means this, if you were to go to someone and say, could this person serve in ministry? You'd think, is this person blameless? Just that, that key word, are they above reproach? I'm not saying are they perfect, but are they above reproach? You think to yourself, well I think so, but what does that look like? That's what the rest of the list is for. Okay, so... The overarching, the umbrella, is you are to be blameless, above reproach. But what does that mean? That's what the rest of the chapter discusses. Here's what blameless looks like, okay? So blameless is our present tense reality, which means a person is to be reverent. Okay, that person is to be honest, honorable, a person of dignity. So let's do the litmus test. Are you, every one of you in here, are you reverent? Are you a person who is considered honest, reliable, a person of dignity? If that's you, then you're blameless. Next, not double-tongued. Not double-tongued, which means you're not deceptive. Okay, you say one thing to one person and say something different to another. You're trying to, to ride both sides of an argument. That happens so many times in leadership. So many times we want to beef up ourselves that we'll blame someone while you're with one group and with the other group when that group's not away. Oh, it's really their fault. Okay, what, what you're doing is you're, you're seeking the favor of God instead of I mean, the favor of man instead of the blessing of God. You don't need to be uh, lead, leading any type of service if you are a double-tongued person. Because you will be considered in the community as a person of blame, not blameless, not above reproach. One tongue, not two. Say the same thing. Be a person of integrity, even in your speech. And then it says, not given to much wine. That means a person who is not addicted to wine. Someone who is a drunk. 
At this person, I mean, at this time, uh, we're Baptists. No, let's change that to absolutely no alcohol. Listen, here's what we've come to find out in, in, the, in the current climate that we live in today. We can talk about how some people argue. The Old Testament, the alcohol was different. It was more like grape juice than it was wine. Listen, let's not get into those silly arguments. Let's just answer the question. Is being full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom... Do those things equate drinking alcohol? Well, you got quiet. Listen, here's something you'll never hear me, Barry, or Kenny ever say in a counseling situation. Wow, your marriage is struggling, isn't it? Wow, that's that's terrible. Wow, you're, you're feeling depressed. You're feeling lonely. Have you ever thought about alcohol? It's insane, isn't it? It's absolutely insane. According to uh, Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18, being filled with wine brings debauchery, ruin, and a prodigal life. Is that someone we want serving in ministry? But being filled with the Spirit brings the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Self-control is a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit. That brings wisdom and it, and it produces a fulfilled life. Alcohol does not do that. So at this point, some of you are saying, so is it okay to drink or not? Are you, you're missing the point. You've missed the point entirely. Wisdom says there's no good that comes out of that. No good. Some things are permissible. Or all things are permissible, but not all things are profitable. No profit in it. And I know that for myself personally. My dad died at 47 years old. Addicted to alcohol and tobacco. His organs were pickled. He was in Vietnam. Alcohol did not make my dad a better person. Then it says, not greedy for money. Not greedy for money. A person who is financially selfish, that is a person that would not be well in ministry. Because that person, think about it, that person will not be a person of faith. I think of someone like Judas Iscariot. You know what Judas Iscariot did? He didn't want any bit of the money spent that was, that was brought in for the ministry that Jesus was a part of. Uh-uh. Whenever someone would, would spill a perfume, he's like, no, that's stupid. That's foolish. That money could be used to give into the poor. But guess what? He was, he was all about uh, greed. He didn't want to give money to the poor. He, he stole the money for himself. So outwardly, he or she who, who says that I want to be a servant of God, they may outwardly say uh, the right things when it comes to money. But their heart says something completely different. We want someone who is, who is liberal with wanting to, to, to use money for the glory of God, but also wise and savvy to know what is the will of God and what isn't. We need that in ministers and servants of God. Then it says, holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. That's somebody who knows 
who grows and he lives the Christian life. Think about the mystery of the faith. You want to know what the mystery of the faith of Jesus Christ is? By the way, it's been revealed to us. Okay, the mystery has been revealed and it's this. You can't get to heaven by being good. Amen? You can't get to heaven by following all the rules. You can't even follow the rules. The mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the faith is not if I attend church, if I put a little in the plate, if my parents were Christians, then so am I by default. That is not the mystery. Here's the mystery of the gospel. That I can't work my way to heaven, but heaven came down to me. Jesus Christ left heaven, left the splendor and the glory of all the majesty of heaven to come down to be a poor man, a poor person, so that I could become rich in him just by trusting in his death on the cross for me and you the same. Now the reason it's a mystery is because the Jews who wanted to follow the law It was a stumbling block for them. It was a scandal for them to say, no, 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 wait a minute. I'm going to work really, really hard to get to heaven and you say what it takes is faith and trust in Jesus Christ to do the work for me. I can't get that. My mind can't wrap around it. That's a mystery. And it's a stumbling block. And it's causing Jews to not trust in the Savior, but instead to trust in themselves. And if they continue that for the rest of their life, they will spend an eternity away from God. But the mystery of the gospel says, you don't have to go that way. You don't have to trust yourself. You can come to Christ. Now, it's also a mystery for the Gentiles. Everybody else who's not a Jew. You know why? Because the Romans at the time thought that was absolutely insane. You're telling me that God, who you despise by your words and by your lack of worship and your lifestyle, that God himself would love you so much that he would die for all of your sins and ask you to believe and trust in him, then you'll go to heaven? That makes no sense to us. It's foolishness to the unbelieving. But, to those who do believe, eternal life. But let me ask you, do you hold the faith, the mystery of the faith of our Lord Jesus Christ your conscience do you know him do you love him do you seek him do you know that you know that he is yours and you are his then we have testing testing must take place testing it says think about it testing is sufficient time to show the character of the heart it's not just how many years you've been on the roll all right. There's people who, who've been here six months, eight months, and there's someone who, wow, God is really working in that life, and we want that person to be involved. Now, yeah, it's good to have qualifications you know, to, to help us out because, let's be honest, we can't see each other's heart. But time spent with each other through small group, through serving together, through ministry, we're going to be able to know who we are, know what our likes and our dislikes are, know what we're truly chasing after. So everyone must be tested. And then that brings us to, uh, uh, look at verse 12. Verse 12. Husband of one wife. 
I have been at churches where that was the only qualification to be a deacon. To be a deacon. That's sad. That's sad that that's the only one. Think about all the things that we've currently covered. Been at places where it's like husband and wife, they don't even get along together. But, but that person's a deacon because they never broke up. That's sad, isn't it? We need a person of integrity, integer, a whole number, a whole person. Spiritually, relationally, financially. Think about it. Someone who is uh, greedy for gain, we don't want that. We don't, we don't need that in ministry in our church. Husband of one wife, what does that mean? Because a lot of us struggle with that, don't we? What does it mean to be husband of one wife? Well, the original language of that, because if you, just, if you read it from the English, that means a husband of one wife. Okay, that means... Well, that could mean a lot of things. That means polygamy? You can't have polygamy, right? I can't have 10, 12 wives. Mm, that, that might be a little difficult. That means you can't be single. Is that what that means? Someone who's a husband of one wife? Does that mean that if you're single, you can't be a deacon? Well, if that's true, then the next one, ruling your children and households well. What if it's a husband and wife, but they don't have kids? Does that disqualify them? No. What does it mean to be a husband of one wife? The original language there, and some translations really bring this out also, and it says, a one-woman man. A one-woman man. Some say that it means you can't be uh, single and a deacon. Others mean that you can't remarry. Others say you can't be... uh, Divorced at all. So if you get divorced, then you can never be a deacon. Others say marital unfaithfulness. There's so many different interpretations there, but what we have to do is we have to go back to that first word. What was the umbrella word? Remember that word? Blameless. Blameless is a present tense reality. Listen, if all these commands were given to us from the moment we were born... We'd all be disqualified, wouldn't we? We would all be disqualified. But a present tense reality is very simple. Who is that person today? Who is that person today? So as a church, we need to decide that. When we're looking at a deacon, we need to ask ourselves, is that person qualified? Is that person considered blameless in the church and in the community? So whatever that means. To some churches, it means that you cannot be divorced and remarried. Okay? To other churches, they interpret it as, well, if there was a divorce that took place, what was the length of time? What was the situation that was involved? And and has there been sufficient time for that person to live for Christ in in an outward way that people see a, a, a change in that person? Does that mean that, that what if they were, they were lost when they were divorced and then they get saved? Do you see how crazy uh, and how chaotic this can all get? That's why I believe the scripture says, what is the present tense reality of that person? And then it says, the wives or the women, in verse 11, they are to be reverent. Reverent means honest. Listen, if you have a spouse... Your spouse needs to be honest, honorable, a person of dignity. 
not slander. You can't be a gossiper. You can't be a perfect person and have your spouse, someone who gossips and keeps uh, and doesn't keep things to herself. They need to be temperate, sober-minded. They need to be faithful in all things. Your spouse can ruin your ministry. Can I just be honest on that? Whether you're a man or woman, okay, if you're serving in, in any type of ministry, your husband can derail you. Your wife can derail you. Isn't that, that crazy? That's not fair. That's the way it is in, in every area of life, isn't it? We see it happen in, in football, okay, in sports, okay? Uh, sometimes you got a great player or whatever, whatnot, but, but the spouse gets on Twitter bashing the boss, bashing all this kind of stuff, that person loses a contract. Husband and wife, you know what the Bible says about y'all? We're one. We're one. So the calling in ministry is a big deal, and it's a family affair. Okay, so those are the qualifications. A lot of qualifications, right? Now, what are the duties of a deacon? Before I go any further, I want to say this. I want to be clear. Everything that we just talked about applies to everybody in this room. You want to serve God in, in the way that he can get most glory out of you? You need to be that type of person. You need to be a blameless person. Well, Pastor Scott, I blew it. 2018 wasn't a good year. Guess what? A new year. Some of us, let's be honest, we already blew it in 2019. Which again, I am so glad that he says that my, my, the mercies are new every day, not every year. So what, you know what this means? Start being blameless from here on. Start being a person of integrity from here on. Be a husband of one wife from here on. What are the duties of a deacon? Again, if we look at Acts chapter 6, the kind of proto-deacons, okay, the, the, the pre-deacons, I think we can see some roles that we can pull out. Go to um, uh, Acts 6, 1 through 4 again. Okay, the first thing that they must do is they need to support the pastoral ministry. They need to support the pastoral ministry. Okay? A deacon that does not support uh, the ministry of the church is a thorn in the flesh of not just the pastor, but the whole church. They need to support the work of the ministry. And what is the pastoral ministry? Well, in this passage, in Acts chapter 6, remember what the, what the apostles said? They said this, Listen, it's not right. Listen, both things are important. Both things are important. Uh, serving people and serving the word. Both of those things are important. But the apostles were called to prayer and to ministry of the word. If the apostles also did serving the food and, and the distributing to the widows, one of those would have to give or two. We, they only, I'm, I'm going to blow your mind here. Apostles only had 24 hours in a day. Okay? So they could only do a couple of things well. And they were charged to do the prayer and the ministry. So they asked for the church to help with the other areas. So just as the apostles' ministry was prayer and ministry of the word, the pastoral ministry, according to 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 2, is prayer the word and the shepherd, the flock of God, which means to feed you. Okay? Now, now I'm not talking about food, okay, as far as uh, um, uh, natural food. I'm talking spiritual food, 
We're here to feed you and to protect you. The words that we say, hopefully you put them into your heart and life so that when wolves come, you know how to protect yourself because you have been fed on the Word of God. The ministry is too great for your pastor to handle. Be honest. The ministry is too great for the pastor to handle. They said when a church gets between 75 and 100 people, the pastor can't do anymore. And that's why a lot of churches never break the 100 barrier. Because the pastor is doing uh, all the work trying to minister to all those 100 families. So at that point, when you get close to 200, you get a second staff member involved. And then when you get close to 300, you get another staff member. But listen, that does not mean that one pastor can uh, correctly... Uh, provide for a hundred families. That would be insane. That's why God in his great wisdom called out deacons. Acts chapter 6 explains this. We need to support the pastoral ministry. So, what do you want your, your pastors to do? Serve the word? Pray? Or meet all the physical needs? can't do both. Both were important. Both needed to be done, but the apostles could not do both. I'm going to show you a picture on the screen. This is, uh, there's two options here on how churches do ministry, okay? Option A is the new 20th slash now 21st century way of doing church, okay? Here's how it works. You have the world you have on the bottom, you have the, that triangle of circles, okay? The triangle of circles is this. The larger one, that's the whole church. And they're saying, Pastor, we're going to pay you a salary. Pastor, we're going to come here and we're going to, to pump you up, Pastor. And we're going, to, we're going to worship God together. But we want one person to go and reach the world. And that's the pastor. That's what a lot of churches do. That's what we pay the pastor for. That's kind of that mindset. Okay? That is a church that is doomed to never make disciples. They may make uh, a lot of groups, a lot of people come in because you may have a very charismatic preacher. Okay, so you can, you can get a whole lot of people in one room, but it doesn't mean you're making disciples. Option B. Option B, you have the pastor, you have the staff, you have the deacons. What are they doing? They're constantly making more disciples, more disciples. So instead of one person going out to the world, you have in this place today 250 people going out into the world making disciples. Let me ask you a question. Which one's more effective for reaching the world? Option A or B? B. So let's be that church. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> but that's only possible if we work together. And support each other in the ministry. You see the need for deacons? You see the need for this? Which brings us to uh, role number two. Care for the physical ministry. That's what the deacons were there. They were there to help care for the ministry. Here's a question. How do deacons do that? Remember I said, the Bible gives us lots of information about qualification. Very little about roles. And I believe that's God ordained because this... Not every church is the same. We're like snowflakes. We're all unique. And so the deacons serve different ministries depending on the needs of that community. If we were in the middle of Spartanburg, 
Our church would look different. Our deacons would serve in a different type of capacity. But here we are in Chesney. We have a completely different uh, makeup of the community. So our deacons are going to have different ministries that need to be filled. Whether it's feeding windows. You know, our, our deacons, one of their ministries is that they connect with our homebounds. Okay, every deacon is assigned uh, two or three uh, homebound members. And that's something they connect with. They help with the ordinances. Our deacons help serve the church in so many ways. But even more than just the deacon body, then it's also a group of, of I was about to say wise guys, a group of, of wisdom that we, that we come together and help look at the church and to solve problems biblically. But also every deacon in our ministry is involved in, in another type of service somewhere. And that's beautiful. Beautiful. In Acts chapter 6, remember the issue was prejudice. And there was want of a vital ministry. Those men in Acts 6, you know what they did? They helped restore the unity of purpose to the church. And that is the role of deacons. Listen, things are going to come up that if they're not addressed, can have a destructive effect on our church. And the deacons are the ones to to be that that wall of defense, to love our church so much, to deal with those issues swiftly and immediately so that the church can continue to flourish for the glory of God. You'll see that happen at the end of this session. The deacon ministry is so vital and so important. And it's so important for pastors because if we had to deal with every issue, we would never get done what God has called us to do, our calling. We'd never get it done. So from here on, I've got a new phrase. If something comes up in the, uh, in the church that's causing some strife and trouble, I'm going to go to the deacon and say, hey guys, you have a problem. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. We're all in this together. <laughs> kind of. Okay. I'm uh, <laughs> just kidding. But this is so exciting, church, to have a deacon ministry that cares so much about you that they're going to fight for relationship. Which brings me to the third point. The third bit of uh, role, and that's to protect the God-honoring unity of the church. To protect the God-honoring unity of the church. If the Holy Spirit can really be welcome in this church, what do you think will happen? What do you think will happen uh, in our families? What do you think will happen in our community? If the Holy Spirit of God and wisdom ruled the thoughts and the hearts of the people of God. How do we get to that point? We need spiritual leaders to help set that pace. What does it look like to be a man of God? I want you to be able to say, I know nine men that I can look at. These are the people that love this church so much, they'll do whatever it takes to have God-honoring unity. Not just unity for unity's sake, okay? Let's not go there, let's sweep that under the rug. No, they pull that rug and they deal with the issue. They deal with the cancer that's involved in there. They deal with the issues so that we can truly be a church who's cleansed by the washing of water and the Word. So here it comes, my favorite part. What are the results of deacon ministry? Look at verse 7. In Acts chapter 6, verse 7, because the deacons did uh, this ministry, it says, Then the word of God spread, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. 
So what happens here? The result is that the word of God spreads. If the pastors were able to do their ministry and the deacons were free to do their ministry, the word of God goes out. It's not hindered by internal strife. But we become outward focused instead of inward focused. And then it says, the disciples multiplied greatly. Not just did the word go out, but the disciples were multiplied greatly. Why? Because deacons humbled themselves to serve the body. Listen, the deacon of a church has a great responsibility. And it is not to be taken lightly. And the rewards of a deacon, the rewards will affect eternity. So church, your deacons are God's gift to you. Your deacons are God's gift to us. And we must see them as such. They help the gospel to be proclaimed so that you can hear it today. They're part of that. Some of them are keeping you safe right now on the safety team. Okay? Some of them are taking care of it, working in finance departments. Some of them are working in, in ministries uh, to help you with benevolence, people who are struggling right now in our community. Some of them help to serve food whenever we have fellowships together. So many things going on. I urge you, I plead with you, To pray for your deacons. To honor and encourage your deacons. Because the burden that they share is huge. They need your support. But as I said earlier, this message is not just for deacons, is it? The message is for everybody here in this room. Let me ask you again. Are you blameless? you a person that is ready and willing to be used by God to serve in ministry? If not, what's stopping you? Anything that you say after that, well, this is what's stopping me. Whether it's sin or, or maybe a fear you have or, or a lack of education. You know what? All those things can be handled. Why? Because we have a God who died for your sin to forgive you. And he is the same God who we talked about for five weeks. Because he is in you, you have no need to fear. And the education that you get, listen, every one of you have access to the textbook. Okay? Every one of us have access to the textbook to know what it means to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and to love your neighbor as yourself. And we have classes at 9 o'clock to help you to hone in your, your education so that you can know more and more about Christ and about His dealings in your life. Folks, that's not an issue anymore. The only thing stopping you from serving Jesus is you. So I plead with you now, let go of those things. Let go of those barriers that are stopping you. And commit to serve King Jesus today. Let's pray. Father God, you're good in all ways and in all things. Help us to be the men and women of God that you are calling us to be. To be blameless. To be people set aside, sanctified for the work of Christ. God, you deserve every bit of it. Every bit of, uh, of our service, God. And God, I pray, Lord, for our deacons, those who are specifically called out, Lord, to, to lead in service. I pray your blessing to be on them in a mighty way.
God, right now, I want to pray specifically for Jamie and Leslie Sanders as they have committed to this ministry as we continue the ordination part of this service. God, that this would be a time that would not be forgotten. That this would be such a milestone in their life, Father God, that they'd be able to look back and to see your fingerprints on their life in a mighty way. And God, I pray, Lord, for many, many years of faithful, devoted service to you, King Jesus. We ask this in Christ's name.